and welcome to the Destiny Prague podcast. Our heart is to see people empowered by the love of Jesus and activated by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Word of God is still relevant today, and we trust that this message will bless you, challenge you, and fill your heart and mind with the truth of who God is and who you are in Christ. We believe that God has a plan for your life, and we want to journey a road of discipleship with you as you discover who He has called you to be. If you'd like to connect with us, check out our website at destinychurch.cz. Let's go. I just want to say something right at the outset. Some of you in here may be saved. Some of you in here may not be saved. And wherever you're at, he died for you too. Did you know he died for the same people who nailed him to the cross? Did you know he died for the soldier who put the wine in his mouth? He died for each and every one of us. So no matter where you're at this morning, there's grace. He's here, and he's here for you. Amen? Okay, I'm going to get straight into it because I'm excited. And I don't want to run late because we have snacks, and the sun is shining, and who knows how long that's going to last for, okay? So this morning, I'm excited to be speaking about communion. Maybe some of you know what I'm speaking about when we say communion. Here we go. It's the juice and the cracker, the bread and the wine. It's the breaking of the body. It's the drinking of the blood, right? It's remembrance. So that's what we're going to be speaking about today because we're currently in a series of spiritual rhythms, right? So we've spoken about many things. We've spoken about faith. We've spoken about seeking God. We've been looking at different rhythms and practices that we need to be instilling in our lives to keep us connected with what we desire for our spiritual journey. So when the opportunity came up and I saw it was Easter, the first thing in my mind was, we need to remember the power of applying the blood and the body to our circumstances. That is a spiritual rhythm that we need to be keeping. So this is my favorite week of the year. Some people like Christmas. I like Easter. Many religions have a savior. Not all saviors died and rose again. That's why this is my most favorite week of the year. So I'm going to be starting off with a scripture just about the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to be reading from Luke 22 verse 14 to 20. Actually, I'll start from 13. The disciples, to speak about the disciples, they left and they found things just as Jesus had told them. And they're speaking about the dinner that Jesus has told them they would be having that night. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Don't you love that? They reclined at the table. He was so, it was just so intimate. It was so close. He reclined at the table with his disciples and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. Interesting that they took the cup after the supper. I love that, just sharing a meal with those he loved. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, we know some of you may call it the Lord's Supper. Some of you may call it Holy Communion, the Eucharist, breaking of bread, 
right? There's many different names for it. And I thought maybe I could just share one or two things that I've experienced about communion growing up, right? So I call it breaking a bread or communion. My first memories of it were being about 10, 10 years old. I was the pastor's kid, you know, and every Sunday evening at church, we would do communion. And we knew after communion and after the service would end, all the lovely old ladies in the church would take the communion things to the kitchen to begin to clean and well, somebody needed to finish all the crackers and the grape juice. So that was my first experience, right? The pastor's kid eating all the crackers and the grape juice after the service. Um, in South Africa, we have a church called the Dutch Reformed Church. And in that, I remember two of my best friends in high school, they needed to do one year of classes on a Sunday before they could partake in communion. So I remember when I was 18, going to church services, church services with my friends so that they could take communion for the first time after a year of classes so that they would understand the significance of it before they took part in it. I've taken communion with 16,000 people in a stadium. It's been beautiful. I've taken communion in people's homes just around the table with friends. I remember just going to some churches where they do communion every Sunday. I've been to some churches where they do it once a month, some once a year. We know the word tells us to do it as often as you can. I remember coming to Prague, going to my first church service here, and realizing that there was real wine at the communion. Now, in South Africa, we do grape juice. Like, we don't do wine. So, and then not only wine, there was a common cup. Like, this was pre-COVID, so I was, this was crazy. Right, I remember doing communion once at a wedding. I saw the bride and the groom partaking in the bread, partaking in the wine as a sign of unity. I've seen people who have come through hard times of reconciliation, groups of people, teams of people come together and break bread as a sign of unity. Right, why am I telling you guys all of this? Because the truth is that the names for what we do, our experiences of communion, our interpretations of it, the ways we do it, where the bread, where the wine, where the juice, where the cracker, those things are going to be different. And we've all come in here this morning with different experiences. But the most important thing is why we do it. I'm not going to get tripped up over wine or juice or crackers or bread this morning. That's not why we're here. Why we're here this morning is to realize the power we have when we apply the body and we apply the blood to our circumstances. Amen? Because when we take the bread, when we take the wine, we are no longer just observing Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. We eat something, right? We drink something, and then all of a sudden we become partakers. We're no longer just observing or knowing about what he did, we become partakers in what he did. And there's power in that. When we think about the moment Jesus broke bread, what I just read to you and what I'm going to be speaking about this morning is not just isolating necessarily the bread and the wine, but zooming out and looking at the story in its entirety. It speaks about a new covenant. We're going to be looking at that today, right? It speaks about remembrance and, and the fulfillment of prophecies, right? Where Jesus says, I will not drink of the cup again. There's power in that. And the truth is that breaking bread is the place where we come to commune with Christ and remember our union with him. 
That's what we were doing this morning, right? We were just reminding ourselves how grateful we are, how thankful that we get to participate in the wonder-working power of the cross. So when we are weary, when we're doubting, when we're fearful, filled with guilt, frustrated, proud, anxious, we come to the table. We receive the bread and the wine. We take communion as a sign that we are in him and that his blood, its power, its victory over death covers us and that the cross will always have the final word in our lives. Amen? Jesus was crucified and then rose again. He defeated sin, death, shame, so that when those things come up against us, we remember the victory that was already completed at the cross. We, this morning, I love that Donovan said it as well before worship, because I felt it so strongly this morning. You need a personal revelation of what the cross means to you. I follow so many of you on Instagram, and I've seen the most beautiful things that so many of us have been sharing on Instagram, just posts about Easter and the cross and Jesus, and it's so beautiful. I've been so encouraged. But I want to encourage you to give yourself fully to this invitation for the cross to be a personal revelation in your lives. For some of you, it meant forgiveness from the deepest, darkest sin that nobody knew. For some of you, it meant healing. For some of you, it meant victory. For some of you, it means freedom. It's personal, and the cross needs to be personal to you this morning. When we take communion, it has to be personal. As soon as you take it, as soon as you hold this in your hand, it has to come to mind all the reasons why you are grateful, what you have been saved from. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 22 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you do it, you proclaim the Lord's death. So what does that mean? Every time I do it, I'm reminding the devil who won. Every time I do it, I remind him. You know, Delara shared it in the prayer this morning. Maybe I can go there quickly. I don't know if I saved the right here. I love this. After Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to some of his disciples, but one of his disciples, Thomas, wasn't there when he appeared for the first time. I'm going to read here from John 20 verse 24. It says, now Thomas was one of the 12, but he was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Some of you are there this morning. Some of you know that he died. Some of you know the sacrifice. Some of you know the cost. But you've yet to experience it for yourself. You've yet to experience that revelation of Jesus for yourself. It continues here and it says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he, I love this, turns to Thomas and says, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. I'm telling you now there is an invitation from Jesus this morning for you to touch the holes in his hand, for you to put your hand in his side. This is a personal invitation for each and every one of us this morning. And every single year around Easter, I feel that invitation afresh. And I am so grateful that I've never 
become numb or ignorant to the fact that Jesus gave his life for me. Every answer you need, every victory, every deliverance that you need is found at the cross. I said it this morning, Revelation 12, 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives as much as to shrink from death. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 to 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It is not by anything you could do, anything you could own, anything you can say, anything that you convince, can convince God of that will save you. It is only by the blood. Amen? That's good. This is not sad. This is good. It's only by the blood. So this morning, that was just a little brief introduction I wanted to share. What I'm going to be speaking about this morning is the invitation provided to us through communion to remember, reflect, and to repent. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? We are no longer observing, we are now partaking. Amen? This is good news, guys. Great, so first thing, communion calls us to remember What do we remember? The body and the blood. We see Jesus reclining with his disciples. And I want to remind you that I'm going to be saying some things this morning. And maybe you know these things. So maybe you're thinking, oh, well, I know all these things. So if you do know all these things, I encourage you to pray for those in this room who don't know them. And we pray that it falls afresh in their hearts. Amen. But I do want to just enlighten you as to some things. Because I think so quickly we can read the scripture and be like, oh, new covenant. Cool, 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 cool. What is the new covenant? Does anybody know what the old covenant is? These are important things to remember. The things that are in this word of God are not by accident or just because they had to get more words. They are powerful. So we remember the body and the blood. So Jesus is reclining with his disciples. This is not just any dinner. This is actually a celebration of Passover. Right? So Jesus with his disciples and what they're doing is they are remembering way back in Exodus where God saved the nation of Israel, while they were in Egypt. So I'm going to read Exodus 12, and I'm only going to read uh, verse 7 and 13 because I just want to summarize it quickly this morning. So this is God giving instructions to Moses, right, for the people of Israel. They are to take some blood of the some of the blood from the lamb. He had instructed each of the households to take a lamb, right, and to sacrifice a lamb. It continues and says they are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and on the top of the door frames of the houses where they will be eating the animal. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. This is God speaking. He's saying, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Pass over. I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So Jesus is sitting with his disciples they are remembering Passover where the sacrifice of a lamb and the blood was taken to paint the doorpost and they had to partake in the flesh of that lamb they had to eat it that night save them from death now Jesus telling his disciples I will become 
the new Passover lamb. This is what's happening in that moment. And I want to encourage you as well. The instructions that God gave the people when he gave Moses and Aaron these instructions were prophetic foreshadowing for Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus' death on the cross was not plan B because plan A didn't work out. This was always foretold. This was always prophesied. This was always part of the plan. Your redemption, he knew it. Before you were even created, you were to be redeemed. John sees Jesus for the first time. What does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is that Lamb again. Behold the Lamb of God. Even Jesus knew it. What does he say in John 3 verse 16? For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Nothing about Jesus' sacrifice was just how it played out in that moment. From Adam and Eve, who remembers how Adam and Eve were sent out from the Garden of Eden? An animal had to die. Do you remember? An animal had to die, and they were covered with the skin of that animal. The people of the Israelites in Exodus, the Old Testament, there had to be blood sacrificed to atone for sin. I'm sorry if I'm speaking a lot about blood this morning, but that's the nature of the sermon. There had to be blood to atone for sin, to save from death, and to restore back to God. That is just how it worked. Until the Son of God hung on the cross and said, it is finished. No more. It is finished. One sacrifice, once and for all. No second guessing. It ended once and for all with Jesus. And I want to remind you that he thought of you on that cross. He thought of you. He willingly went to the cross for you. I want to actually just take a moment. I wanted just to, I just feel in my spirit. I just want to read Isaiah 53 quickly. Just as we speak about remembering. Isaiah 53, it says, The servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender shoot. It's speaking about Jesus. Let this just wash over you. Like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. There was nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away and we've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord still laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so that you could be whole, whipped so that you could be healed. We remember. That is what we do when we partake of the cup and of the bread. We remember. 
Secondly, we reflect. What does this mean for us? What does the cross mean? That we look inwardly and we take a moment to reflect. Luke 22, verse 19 to 20. I read it earlier. It says, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after that eaten, saying, this is the cup that is poured out for you and is the new covenant in my blood. This is a good scripture. Listen to this, guys. Hebrews 9, verse 15. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance. Since death has occurred, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Again, first covenant. Jesus did not come to abolish the first covenant. He came to fulfill it and to be the final sacrifice. So we reflect New covenant, what is it? When it says that this is the fulfillment, when Jesus is saying this is a sign of my new covenant, it means that this is a promise that God will make mankind right with him again, that he will forgive all sin, that he will restore communion for all those whose hearts believe in his son, Jesus. That is the new covenant. Now, old covenant, I'm going to make this super quick because maybe some of you aren't too interested in this, but this is powerful. Old covenant, new covenant. Now, the word testament can often be interchanged with covenant, right? So, you know, we have Old Testament and New Testament, right? So, we have the Old Testament, and all it spoke about prophetically was a foreshadowing of what was to come, of the new, right? That's why we always say you can't read just the New Testament. You have to read the Bible in its entirety because everything's connected, The New Testament speaks about the fulfillment of God's promise in Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament speaks about the old way. New Testament is the new way, and it speaks about Christ. So under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, there were 613 laws that the people of God had to abide by. I think my son has about three rules in our house, and he's really bad at like just even two or three of them. 613, everything from males needed to be circumcised, Sabbaths had to be observed. There were hundreds of dietary, social, and hygiene rules. There was even a rule about where you had to dispose of your waste. That was the law, guys. That is what we could have been under right now. All these regulations, though, were intended to protect the people of God from outside influences. To address the people's sins when they couldn't keep up with any of the laws, the laws, God set up a system of animal sacrifices in which the people provided cattle, sheep, and doves to be killed. Because to cover sin, there requires a blood sacrifice. So once a year, Aaron, he was Moses' brother, he was the high priest. Once a year, he would enter into the temples, into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, and he would intercede for the people on behalf of God. New Testament, New Covenant. God then sends his son Jesus to be the mediator of a new covenant and to represent a new high priest who would once and for all atone for our sin. So no longer did we need Aaron 
right? A high priest. No longer do we require Donovan, not Chess, Donovan, to go once a year and atone for the church of destiny, 140 people, right? No longer we have Jesus, our high priest, once and for all. Do you want to know what happened the moment Jesus took his last breath? What happened in the temple? The veil tore the curtain. We sang it in the bridge of what a beautiful name, right? The veil tore before you. Some of you, I think, have just read over that and you're like, cool, 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 like interior decorating, better get into that afterwards. No. The veil tore. You know what that means? You know who was allowed beyond the veil? Only the high priest. Only the nominated person on behalf of the people was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. And that was where they could appeal on behalf of the people to God. Only one person. Jesus breathes his last breath and the curtain is torn. Not from the bottom, from the top. Human hands could not have done that. The high priest... Jesus went before us one final sacrifice, and now we get to live in the Holy of Holies, free access, not needing to send anybody on our behalf, but free access to God. The new covenant promises us that God will make his people new. He will cleanse us from our sins. He will wash us, and he will be in our midst in a way that was never experienced in the old covenant. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we have an invitation this morning from Jesus himself into relationship with him, into intimacy with him, to see the scars on his hands and the hole in his side. This is not just a religion. This is an invitation. So we reflect, we've now remembered and then we reflect on the truth that Christ's death and resurrection have accomplished what our works and our obedience to the laws could never do. It's not what I do, it's not what makes me right before God, it is only by his grace that was freely given on that cross. Where we were once under the law, we are now under a new covenant of grace, Jesus is my justification. He is my purification. It's only through him. There is no other way to the Father but through Jesus. So when we partake of this, we remember that Jesus is the only way. And because of him, I have free access to the Father. I'm no longer an orphan. I'm not fatherless. I have a loving Father who gave his son so that he could be close to me. Amen? Lastly, we remember, we reflect, Reflect, and then we repent. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 to 28. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ... You are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. So I'd like to just touch on a couple of practical things about communion that maybe you didn't know. Communion, partaking in the Lord's Supper, is for those who believe in Jesus. It's for those who acknowledge that the blood has power. It's for those who acknowledge that the body has power. 
right? This is not for people to take who disregard Jesus or do not know him. That is taking the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner, right? So we know that this is for people who declare Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives. The scriptures also continue and it says that we shouldn't partake in communion if we have a problem with somebody in the body of Christ. Now let me just quickly zoom in on that for a moment. That's not, I'm not going to take communion because somebody shared something on Facebook that I don't agree with, so I have an issue with somebody. No, the scriptures are very clear. It says, of course there are differences among you. He's not saying don't take communion if there are differences. He's saying if there is unforgiveness, if there is deep-seated offense, it's saying you remember that you were once saved by grace. You remember that you were once forgiven. And if you are withholding that from anybody, best you go back to the body. Best you go back to the blood and you remember that you were bought at a price. And with that same grace that you are freely given forgiveness and redemption and acceptance, it says take a moment, examine yourself and go to that person and resolve it. Forgiveness, peace, be a peacemaker. Then come back and take communion together. Amen? When we take the cup, when we take the bread, it has to change something inside of us. It has to cause us, because if we're truly remembering all that happened at the cross, if we're truly reflecting on what it means for us to be standing in grace forgiven right now, and when we're then looking at ourselves and examining our heart, the truth is that there should be nothing in us that we would not give away freely. There would be nothing that we should be holding back from Christ. There should be no part in our lives that we do not want him to be Lord over. Amen? Amen? Before we partake, we examine our hearts and our minds and we call out and we repent of anything that is bringing dishonor to the body and the blood. May our whole selves, soul, body, spirit, reflect the power and finished work of the cross. Your life was bought at a price. And what we deserved was taken away from us on the cross so that we can have pure intimacy in Jesus. We're now partaking in forgiveness. We're partaking in grace. We're partaking in intimacy. It has to change you. It has to change you. Can I have the worship team up? Thank you, guys. We know the scriptures also remind us that it is only by the blood that we can enter confidently into the presence of God. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So when you're sitting in your feelings of, of shame, when you're sitting in your feelings of rejection, when you're sitting feeling so far from God, you remind yourself of Jesus. And that when God sees you, He sees you through the blood of His Son, a sacrifice that was once and for all. Did you know that Jesus gave his life before you could do anything to earn it or deserve it? I'm going to say that again. Jesus gave his life before you could do anything to earn it, before you could do anything to deserve it. Before you tried to make things right, he gave his life because he loves you. He loves you. This is not a love that man can give. This is not a love that your mom and dad can give. This is not the love that your wife or husband can give. 
This is a deep, deep, holy love. And I don't want anybody to walk out of here this morning without experiencing that radical, reckless love of Jesus because you cannot comprehend what that love feels like. 